Don S. Davis, thank you very much for being with us this afternoon. Thanks for inviting me. You're still looking good. How's your health been? Pretty good lately. lately. Pretty good, yes. Okay. I've, had, I've had some more medical things done, but, but uh, you know, when you get old, the machinery starts to fall apart. So. <laughs> well, hopefully later rather than sooner for you. I think you're going to be fine for a while. You've got a few miles uh -huh. left to go. I'm held together by scar tissue and bailing wire. <laughs> it's been two seasons uh, since General Hammond was a regular on SG-1, and you told us that one of the reasons you were looking forward to retirement was to get all these wonderful artistic ideas that you had in your head out on canvas or out on wood. Have you been able to do the amount of artistic expression that you had hoped you would have time for or have other things continued to, to be a distraction? Uh, I've continued to work in, in, okay. in, in the film and television industry and that has kept the art from happening but I, it, as, as it so happens I'm in the middle of that transition right now. This okay. morning before coming here uh, I was in my wonderful little shack which is an hour out of town. It's on the banks of an irrigation ditch next to a cranberry bog in a fenced compound. And it literally is a shack without any plumbing, but it's fully insulated and has tons of electricity and no one can get to me. <laughs> and so that's where I was this morning. I was tearing out. It, the building's been vacant for four years. It's owned by a friend of mine. Uh, so the rent is very reasonable, uh, but I'm tearing out debris that probably CSI couldn't identify. <laughs> what do you What do you plan to do with this this place? I plan to use it as a painting and a carving studio. Awesome! It's 16 by 24 feet, so okay, enough to room to move around in yeah, there. Then, yeah. great, great. <laughs> What uh, types of mediums do you usually like to focus on? In, in the painting and the carving, I guess the, uh, that is the answer to the question. Well, I, yeah, that, that's it. I, I, I'm primarily, I think of myself and have for years as a woodcarver, but I hardly ever carve anymore. Uh, I paint in every medium and in every style. Uh, we're trying to put together a website called DonSDavisArt.com. And when we get it together, there'll be examples of both paintings and carvings. And the people that are putting it together are trying to talk me into selling prints of my paintings and drawings. I haven't yet... Given in? Uh, no, I had that. I, I tried to have some prints made of stuff uh, a few years ago and market them, and the colors weren't right, and they... Sizes couldn't be reproduced, and so it was a very negative experience, and I quit doing that. Now, now I've got a, a group of very reputable people who are claiming that they can market the stuff and that they can produce quality prints, and if they can, we'll do it. But if not, this will just be so people can see what the old fart was talking about. <laughs> Don, are you a fan of science fiction? Uh, I am now. I, mm. I, I wasn't always. Uh, I especially, I never really liked science fiction 
in film and television because when I was your age, it was all cardboard and very crude and it wasn't realistic. And I could read someone like Asimov and envision all of these wonderful things, uh, or Wells or whoever, uh, and then I would see it on TV or in the film and no. In fact, uh, my son, when he was about four years old, I guess, or five years old, Star Wars came out. Mm -hmm. He had to see Star Wars, and, <laughs> and he really had to make me lots of promises in order to get me to take him to uh -huh. it. And I came out of that movie uh, a Star Wars nut. Really? Oh, yeah. I just, uh, and, and, you know, then with the Star Trek, not the original Star mm -hmm. Trek, which, again, it was silly, mm -hmm. the crudity of the thing, even though, the, you know, the actors, a lot of them now are friends of mine. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I don't like crudity. You know. I'm a painter and a sculptor. I spent 20 years teaching people how to be artists and craftsmen and then to see something, especially on film, that looks like a retarded two-year-old created it in their backyard is not entertaining to me. Mm -hmm. so you said the later, the later Star Treks, you were more interested in, like, Next Generation, I would suppose, when it became... Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. And, and most of the... One of my favorite shows on television for years of, uh, uh, was a thing that's a Canadian production called Lex. And it's just magnificent. And I loved, you know, uh, within the science fiction realm... Doctor Who and uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hell, I've got DVDs of all of them. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'm just saying that I came to it late. My fa one of my favorite authors is is uh, again he happens to be Canadian, happens to live in this area. Uh, his name's Spider Robinson, and if you want to read just great fun. Uh, read the Callahan Chronicles. The Callahan Chronicles. Yeah, and his wife is also a wonderful writer, and and she has written. I love detective stories, and she's written a kind of a sci-fi detective story called "The Lady Slings the Booze." And if you can read that, I, I read that on an airplane, and the hostess actually became concerned because I was alternately laughing and crying and moving around in my seat. Uh, just the imagination of these people. And, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, I like sci-fi. I, I was reading Ray Bradbury at the moment that John F. Kennedy was shot. People say you always remember what mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you were doing, and I happened to be reading Ray Bradbury at the time. Okay. So. Wow. So you do have a special attachment to sci-fi. Yeah, I, I see. I grew up with, with with some magnificent science fiction. You know, all of the H.G. Wells stories and Ray Bradbury, and again Isaac Asimov, and uh, you know, just great writers. The Da Vinci's of sci-fi foretold so much stuff. 
of what was yes. to come. Yes, sir. As Greenberg and Wright and uh, Glasner may very well be. <laughs> there you go. Take us back to the very beginning, Don. Um, how did you get General Hammond? Years ago, I, I was brought to Canada to, to teach at the University of British Columbia. Mm -hmm. And I had a Ph.D. and I taught for uh, about ten years and I was published. And so my summers were pretty much mine. Mm -hmm. But they insisted that if I did work in the summers, it had to be theater related. And one of the other faculty uh, wanted to act in film and television. He taught acting. And he talked me into meeting his agent and I wound up doing some extra work and then through a fluke wound up uh, on a, a film letting some people shoot a mortar full of spaghetti and, and, and cottage cheese and food coloring in my face as if uh, the man in front of me has had his brain shot out and the AD on that show, the, sister, the second AD on that show a couple of years later, wound up being the second AD on MacGyver. And uh, when they shot MacGyver, uh, Richard Dean Anderson's boss was played by an actor named Dana Elkar. Uh, and they couldn't find a stunt double for Dana who looked anything like him. They were having to put padded suits on these guys and bald caps and it just wasn't working and in a production meeting this guy said well hell there's an actor in town that <laughs> could be his brother it looks just like <laughs> it and so I wound up becoming his photo double and then his stunt double uh, and so Michael Greenberg and Rick got to know me and when Stargate came along they called me in to read for Hammond I'll be darned. so so that's how I really got to have not through talent or beating anybody up. They <laughs> thought, thank you. <laughs> yeah, they're two very loyal people, and, uh -huh. and they knew that they could trust me. Oh, darn. Awesome. Awesome. What were your honest thoughts about this character when you first read his breakdown? Did you find him to be unflappable, someone with a lot of potential, or someone who just served I, a cookie I thought cutter? he was a two-dimensional yeah. figure and I had served in the army uh, in Korea during the Vietnam War uh, yeah. and had served under because I was an officer I started out as a second lieutenant got out as a captain and I had served under officers that were heroic certainly some who weren't uh, but who were as they really are in the army, mm -hmm. a cross-section of humanity. I served under guys that, uh, you know, were poets and painters and dreamers and schemers. And, and when I saw Hammond, he was just another, he was by the book, a foil for O'Neill. Uh, and it just wasn't true to what the service is really like. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, they were kind enough to, to uh, take my suggestions to heart. How and they let me, especially as the show go on, make him more and more human. Okay, so that didn't happen overnight? Did it happen gradually? No, in fact, the director of the pilot, uh, a man with very limited imagination, in my opinion, named Mario <laughs> Azapardi, 
uh, wanted him to be the stereotype. But he didn't have a five-year contract. I did, and I wasn't going to spend five years betraying what you the mean? kind of character that I was supposed to portray. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So your experience as a captain, the Army, is that is that yeah. the right branch? I was, I was, so that really yeah. had a lot to weigh in on the way that this character developed? Had everything to, to okay. do with it. Okay, okay. Out of the seven seasons that you were on the show, can you m remember the most grueling day for whatever reason? No. Okay. <laughs> Well, that maybe that's you know, a good sign. Acting <laughs> isn't a very grueling business, really. It, you know, I grew up, I started working when I was 13. Mm -hmm. uh, acting isn't really work. It's playing cowboys and Indians. <laughs> you know. Okay, then what about, like, some of the most joyous moments that you can oh, recall on the set? Uh, too many to single one out. I'm, I'm not trying to avoid your oh, questions. Yeah. It was just... You know, I, I was really, especially in this show, but I've been lucky in a lot of uh, shows. Mm -hmm. uh, I was working with a, a cast that I really liked every member of, mm -hmm. and with a crews that I had already worked with for, you know, 20 years. So I was surrounded by people that were friends and family. Uh, so, uh, you know, I loved Stargate, every moment of it, and still do. I'm uh, apparently going to do another episode here next month, so. Great. Season yeah. 10. Yeah. Good. Will you have, do you hope to have a little bit, will you have a little bit more involvement than you did in the I doubt in the it. Okay. I doubt it. It's, you know, he, he, one of the good things about good drama is it mirrors life. Mm -hmm. And in life, people move on. You know, they get older, they retire, they die, they get a better job or a worse job or, you know, whatever happens. Uh, and Hammond has been gone now for some time. I don't even know how they're going to bring me back. In fact, that's another, you know, coincidence. Uh, the script for the episode I'm in just arrived as I got home and threw these clothes on <laughs> to come and meet you guys, so I hadn't even looked at it yet. You've always been considered the fatherly figure of the cast. And it's very obvious to anyone who has come to see you at conventions uh, that to this day you feel very close to these people. Yes. Can you tell us a little, about, a little bit about your feelings toward each member of the regular cast as well as Terrell, if you wouldn't mind? Well, everybody knows Terrell's like a daughter to me. Yeah. In fact, she refers to my wife as mom. Oh. Uh, she's just an all-around special person. Uh, amazingly talented. Uh, she's her and Amanda both are as beautiful on the inside as they are on the outside, and they're both very, very talented people. Mm -hmm. Michael is a special guy. He, I think that Michael. don't know how to delicately put this. Michael will do himself a disservice if he doesn't quit doing television and start doing film. Yeah. Uh, He's really good. He really is exceptional. Chris Judge has the biggest heart of any man I've ever met. Uh, 
I've never seen a guy who can walk into a room. It doesn't matter if they're ambassadors and diplomats and, and little tiny kids and somebody in off the street. Uh, he 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 makes you smile. He's got a an aura about him mm-hmm. that uh, is the best part of life. Uh, and Rick, uh, you know, you you forget, or some people forget, uh, that how long he's been around and how unique. Uh, he'll be in all, all of the history books of television. In fact, the dictionary. Uh, actually, yeah, <laughs> was going to to add MacGyver to to the American language because, you know, that character was so strong and and he's done the same thing with O'Neill. He mm-hmm. he he literally uh, he took a character that another man introduced, Kurt Russell, in the movie introduced the character, and he went in an entirely different direction. And he made the character uh, a giant standing next to a midget. So, and I'm a big Kurt Russell fan. And I've worked with him. He's a lovely man. I'm not in any way belittling his talent. It's just that Rick took this character and he did exactly what he did in MacGyver. To the extent that the Air Force literally gave him a medal. Yes. Honorary Brigadier General. Yeah, there you go. That was incredible. You said that Hammond was influenced by uh, your experience in the Army. How has the Army influenced you? Well, I'm one of those people that, that I wouldn't have the life I had today if I hadn't been in the service. I uh, I wound up going in the service. I, I, I never believed that the Vietnam War was justified. You know, it was a lie. It was built on a lie. I think the Iraq problem is the same thing. But the military doesn't start wars. Politicians do, uh, either to line their pockets or because they're stupid or because they've obligated themselves to somebody who has said, I need a war, go fight one. And so they are in control of the military and they put out propaganda and say, we're threatened unless we do something. And then a war starts. The people that have to fight it very often know that they're going into harm's way not for a valid reason, but they've got to do it. And it's been that way throughout history. Uh, you know, into the Valley of Death or the 500. They knew they were riding into the Valley of Death. Today's no different. Uh, I get very angry I hear people abuse the American military. 
sure there have been some incidents of some mistreatment of prisoners, but how can today's public be so short-sighted not to remember the atrocities that these people were committing? How can the public forget the Japanese treatment of prisoners in World War II? What the hell right does Japan have to complain about a couple of bombs when they were the instigators of the Bataan death marches? Men, women, and children. And the Germans? You know, they may make a good Volkswagen, but how can you ever forget what happened in World War II? And Bosnia and, Ser Bosnia and Serbia? You know, we live, one of the problems with mankind is that we are an animal that distrusts animals not like our pack. And there is always going to be someone with their own agenda that's going to cause our pack to try to kill the other pack. That's the nature of the beast. But within each pack, there are good people who take up the sword to defend their kind. Boy, that's going to get me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> the show has taken on a drastic transformation since the beginning of season nine. Have you watched any of these episodes since? Have you caught any of them? I honestly don't watch a lot of of TV, okay. so okay. Uh, I would have the same answer for about any okay. show. I watch golf matches and the World <laughs> Poker Tour because I'm not good at sitting still looking mm -hmm. at a screen. Uh, I watch old movies, you know, uh, like I don't know what was on last night, but I watched a poker game and then I watched the ex Mrs. Baxter, which is an old film from the 1940s that happened to star William Powell, who was in the Thin Man series. And because it was set in the 30s, it had art, every, all the sets were Art Deco. And so I watched it. You know, uh, I'm sure there was some brilliant currently made drama that would have been much better for my soul. <laughs> but I laughed. And that's what life should be. Right, right. Okay, then, in terms of the show's transformation from what you've been told by the producers when you come in, you know, do you think this is a healthy direction that the show has taken in order for it to survive? Or do you think it's long past its time? SG-1, not Atlantis. I don't think it'll ever be past its time. The Bible for Stargate uh, is based on the human, the whole lexicon of human mythology. That's the spine. So the next conflict fought by the next edition of the four people that went through the gate. Uh, is still going to be valid as long as they stick to that. 
uh, once the show starts being all about if it ever does mm. uh, mechanics and special effects then right. then it'll be past its time you've got a bunch of really outstanding creative minds that work on the show I don't think they'll ever let it go there Good. and the fans I talk to feel the same It's funny how life changes our plans, like you've said. I remember watching on one of the Stargate DVDs an interview where you said you would play Hammond as long as RDA was involved with the series. When was it that caused you to make the decision that it was time to move on anyway? My health problems, which I haven't hidden those, you know. One of the reasons I'm so loyal to Stargate is they were so loyal to me in 2002. I had, uh, just at the start of the season, uh, a major operation. Uh, I had an abdominal aortic aneurysm, and they had to, to remove a large part of my aorta. Most shows would have cut me off. Mm -hmm. Stargate uh, stood by me. I never missed a single paycheck. Uh, <laughs> They scheduled the, the episodes around me, and when they brought me back, they made sure uh, that there was nothing that I was asked to do that I that might put me in harm's mm -hmm. way. So, uh, but there comes a time where uh, you just you really can't if you're in my condition. Uh, I'm a heart patient, I'm a diabetic, you know, I've got other minor problems, and uh, it's really time to slow down. Yeah. You know, I joke, but I really am. Uh, my, my doctor, one of my doctors said I've got more scar tissue uh, than anybody he's ever worked on. You know, because I've, I've done stunts, I was in the military, I was an athlete when I was a young kid. And then I'm just stupid and clumsy, you know. I've, I've, uh, and now uh, I'm I've got arthritis along with other things. Uh, I take a lot of pills every day, so I'm very aware of my mortality, and especially after season seven, uh, and especially. Uh, with the loss of one of the family. Carol. Yeah. It just wasn't the same for me. Was Heroes hard to do? Yeah. I, I, all the fandom was affected when she I think was... It was I think it was a good episode, the, the, the two-parter. But, uh, you know, we changed... We went from Showtime to the Sci-Fi channel, and they wanted to see a major thing, and that's an arbitrary decision made by some stupid bean counter. Uh, but of course, Stargate had, you know, no option to refuse that, so somebody had to go. Uh, I don't like change. I'm old. You know, there's enough change. Every day they invent a cell phone that I have no idea how to use <laughs> or a computer that I buy and a week later it's obsolete, you know, and it's worth 
pennies on the dollar for what I spent for it. The world, when I was a young guy, a computer had to be housed in a building. Yeah. You know, and the whole world's changed. So. Ruby Fleming, your wife. Has restored my life. Yes. Tell yeah. us about Ruby. How did you meet her? Uh, years ago, I, I write as well as do the rest of the thing, and years ago some friends of mine asked me to write a script for them uh, that would be set here. Uh, and I wrote a detective story uh, called Blues in the Rain. Uh, but I wrote, I, uh, again, I'm a very stubborn guy. you got to remember, I'm a redneck hillbilly from the Missouri-Arkansas border next to Oklahoma. And uh, it ain't sunburn. It's, you know, uh, I wrote it for my friends. So I wrote a codicil into the thing that to be produced, it had to star my friends. Uh, Ruby and, and a woman that she was partnering with producing at the time uh, optioned the script uh, thinking, well, nobody's dumb enough that they won't let you cast a name in the lead rather than his friend. Well, I'm that dumb. So uh, they had several nibbles on having the money to produce it, but, you know, they had to use somebody else. And uh, we remained friends, and as my first marriage fell apart, and only after I had left my first wife did she ever tell me. Mm -hmm. In fact, I had no idea that she thought that I was anything but uh, dumb and ugly. Uh, <laughs> but she took me in. And she is the most nurturing person I've ever known. And I love her more than anybody I've ever loved in my life. You tell us a, sto you tell a story at conventions every once in a while. I think you were over at Terrell's house. And you were, I think you two were <laughs> dating. Could you please tell us that one again? Well, we went out. Uh, Terrell's mate is a great guy named Cal Crusting. Calvin uh, is an RCMP officer. At that time, he was uh, uh, the head of the homicide division in, in Burnaby. And there were a bunch of uh, house invasions that had occurred, more in one small span of time than had ever occurred before. And Ruby and I had, had arranged for our first date. Oh, okay, so this is way and, Yes, and it was going to be on, I think, a Wednesday night or something. And Calvin had been just killing himself at work, and Terrell had, and, and him decided they needed to get out, and they were used to calling me, and I was always the fifth wheel. Well, this time I had a date. <laughs> and... Calvin said, well, we want to come with you. And I said, okay. And we went to a, a wonderful local steakhouse. And the two women, by the way, at the time smoked. 
And anyway, we, we, we got seated. We met at the steakhouse. We, we arrived in different cars. And we got there, and Calvin and I started talking, as two guys will. And the poor women kind of got ignored. <laughs> and we had our salads, and we had some wine, and... and uh, he and I got to talking about crime and injustice and all this crap. In general terms, of course, because he couldn't tell me about ongoing oh, right. investigations. Yeah. Never yeah. would do that. But uh, as a result, we kind of neglected the two women. And, and so between the main course, or one of the courses and the main course, uh, they decided to go outside smoke. <laughs> and Terrell uh, asked Ruby, how long had we been dating? And Ruby said, well, you know, it's our first date. We'd oh. known each other for ten years. Mm -hmm. And uh, Terrell said, well, you know, he's a good guy. And Ruby mm -hmm. said, yeah, I really like him. And, and Terrell said, well, I don't think he knows that. Yeah. And uh, Ruby said, well, I've given him plenty of indications, <laughs> you know. And Terrell said, he's not very bright. You're going to have to hit him over the head. And so we went by. They, went, they came back in, and Calvin and I finally realized that we had irritated them or something. <laughs> so we tried to pay more attention. Uh, and we finished the meal, and Calvin decided that we should come over to their place for a nightcap. So we went over to their place, and immediately upon arriving, Terrell and I disagree about this. She says Calvin went to the bathroom, but no, she went to the bathroom. <laughs> and Calvin got a call from work. And he had already poured these humongous tumblers full of scotch to the brim. And they both left the room. And I told Ruby, I said, honey, you know, i got to get some ice and water in this thing or I'll be a dead man. And she agreed. So we went in. Now, when we left the restaurant, she, as I opened the car door for her, which gentlemen from the south always mm -hmm. do for their women uh, she turned around and kissed me and <laughs> over the head Don <laughs> but yeah but it wasn't a, you know yeah. it was just a, <laughs> but it was on the lips and I thought that was kind of funny but I didn't want to insult her so I yeah. just gave her a peck back and but anyway I thought, hmm. And then we, we, I said, you know, we had to have some ice, and she followed me in the kitchen, and, and when I handed her gla glass, she kissed me again. <laughs> well, that's like putting fresh meat in front of an old dog. <laughs> I, I set my glass down, and I had her on the floor. <laughs> uh, and Calvin walked in. <laughs> and he grabbed Harold and brought her in. Of course, Calvin Terrell wanted to complete visiting with 
with us. And but I now had had gone in heat. <laughs> and so I guess as we stayed in the in the living room talking, they weren't about to leave us alone again. <laughs> I started coming out with some strange lines. They weren't lines. Everything was from the heart. Mm-hmm. But Calvin at one point started laughing at, at what I was saying so hard that he fell off his chair. <laughs> and they never let me forget that. But it's been good ever since. Mm. Good. Glad you're happy. I am. In the years ahead, as Stargate continues to grow and transform, what would you like fans to remember about your involvement, your footprints, if you will, in this franchise? Just that he was a good man who took care of his people. Uh, that, that it was a true portrayal 